I'm Jess Zaino, and this is the Mothers of Reinvention. Every episode, I sit down with rebel women who share their never-before-heard life stories about that pivotal moment where they reinvented themselves and set their course to success. On today's episode, we are going on the road. Have you ever shaved your legs in the sink of a music venue? (laughs) I have. (laughs) And I'm sure our spectacular guest today has too. She is the CEO of Double Platinum, which is a brand and marketing entertainment agency, the co-host of the popular podcast Made Women and Gangster Goddess with her bestie, Drea DiMatteo. And now the two have launched a wine brand, Gangster Goddess Pinot Noir, which we'll hear more about today. She is a mother to two kids, a badass Jersey girl, and possibly the coolest broad I've recently met. <laughs> Please welcome to today's show, Chris Kushner. Oh Thank you. That was some intro. Boy, it's hard to live up to that one. I don't know. <laughs> That's you, is it not? I'm trying every day. Anyway, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. I wanted to um, lay out how we met because I wasn't kidding in that intro when I said you were like the coolest girl I've met recently because I was out to dinner with one of uh, my dear friends having sushi around the corner. Uh, We both, you and I both live in California and Los Angeles and um, I was having sushi and you got out of the car and you had this red lip on that you have now. (laughs) I'm always in the red lip. And I was like... My mom did it too. Did she? She did. I think she passed it on to me. (gasps) Do you know what red lipstick your mother wore? I don't. I just remember growing up and always seeing her in a red lip. And, you know, and then I... I, Dre and I, when we started Made Women, the first podcast, Sopranos Rewatch, um, we did... I wear a red lip here and there. And then we did our first shoe for all the PR and stuff. And I had this red lip on it, and then it just stuck. You know, and that was a few years ago. I don't even know. Oh my God, it feels like 10 years ago. But um, you upped my cool factor uh-huh. for my son uh-huh. when we first met. I mean, he so was. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I'll do it again and again. Please. They should know how cool you are. Oh my God, that's so funny. They I was need like, to do know. You see, do you see someone else thinks I'm cool, Waylon? And he was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Not so much, Mom. <laughs> I told that story like 50 times to everyone I know. You should. Take it in, receive that information and run with it because it's fun to recognize women for who they are and when they have as big a spirit as you do. Uh, I I literally was just eating dinner on the sidewalk, and there you were, and I thought, whoa, that girl is cool. Well, you were not on the sidewalk, but you were at the table on the sidewalk. I don't want to just eat one more I wasn't sandwich. eating sushi off the floor on the sidewalk. I was sitting at a very nice table during COVID. And you had felt the same. I'm like, who, is, who are these two chicks? I'm like, they're so cool, too. So Anyway, it was a great way to meet another woman, because women don't do that enough for yes, each other. Yes, I agree. You know? I agree. And then just understanding, like, who you were... And in that small moment, learning about like what you're working on and you as as a woman who reinvents herself over and over again, I'm really excited to hear about that journey today. Um, So you and I are talking about entrepreneurship and career reinventions, Mm -hmm. but we share a few things in common, including that we randomly, we both spend time on the road, more specifically on music tours with traveling partners, because for a little context, your husband is a working musician Mm -hmm. in a high profile band. 
And I'm curious um, if that experience and connection to the music industry has lent itself to who you've created yourself to be or what you built. I know that for me, I had an epic reinvention on the road, which we can get into a little later. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'd first love to hear about, like, how did you start your professional life, dear one? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I would just want to say, you were you on the road with Kelly Osbourne? Yeah. So it wasn't. I was on OzFest. Oh, that's so funny. Guess who else was on OzFest? You. My husband. And guess who did my second company? My second company was Double Platinum that you mentioned. Yes. Um, I did an endorsement deal for Sharon and Ozzy for all the OzFest uh, backstage ropes. Oh my gosh. So we're connected. Can I tell you how Kelly Osborne came into play sure. in my reinvention? Sure. So I, at the time I was on a music television show. Uh-huh. I was a host, I was a co-host on a music television show. Uh-huh. It was called Studio Y. We shot it in New York as part of a channel called Metro in New York, which then went on to become Fuse. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Moni Love was the host. Do you know who Moni Love is? I remember that name. Yes. Moni in the middle. Was she at? In the middle. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Moni was part of like Queen Latifah's camp, was the host. And then I was like the rock and roll co-host. Uh-huh. And so as part of my job, I had a segment on the show that I created called Can't Stop the Rock. And I would essentially like go on tours with rock bands. What I was really doing. Oh, that was, job sucks. <laughs> But I was like, truly, I was just a glorified yeah. groupie, honestly. Yeah, like, awesome. who can I get on tour with? Yeah. And how long can I stay out here? And then, like, get it all on tape. Um, and so I had gone on us. <laughs> Don't I, mind me. I'm just filming. <laughs> I'm legit, you guys. That's a fuck. <laughs> I'm legit. Or something. <laughs> yes. So um, I met a boy who was a drummer in a band who was on OzFest. Always. Mm -hmm. Always. I'm always the drummer for me. Yeah. yeah. And for you? Guitars. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So always the drummer. And I met a drummer um, and essentially like hopped on to OzFest and was on the, I was on for most of their traveling. Uh They picked me up in their tour bus. They were from Texas. They picked me up in their tour bus in Brooklyn, like at my apartment, and I jumped on the bus and was off and running. That's so great. And so um, while I was out on OzFest, Kelly Osbourne at the time was very young. This was before any of the show had started on MTV. She was a little kid, Um, but she was always hanging around and always way above her years. And at the time, I was like, I was cutting my own t-shirts. I was going to Goodwill and I was like safety pinning my own t-shirts. And oh, essentially what was happening at what story is shop? shop? Well, it's not Filthmark. Filthmark. It's um, Mike and Maggie's. Okay. Shop. But Dre started. Dre this was New York. With Mike. Yes, yeah. In New York. This was New York. And then they closed that. And then um, Mike and Maggie opened the LA one, which is not here. Like, no, Fairfax. 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 So I was a... A uh, customer, I guess, or a client at Filth Mart in New York. Oh, everybody. I, this is I mean, always. I when know. Dre's name comes up, two things come up Filth Mart and Sopranos. <laughs> so it's always, you know. I mean, Filth Mart. Housewives, which has got a whole resume, but you know, the top two things is always Filth Mart's always top that. I mean, because it is and remains to be and was and always has been epic. Epic. Yeah. cool. Yeah, it changed the game. And so I was sort of biting her style and like going out and buying my own t-shirts and like cutting them up and ripping them and whatnot and I I met Kelly on the road and she was like what where did you get your shirt I was wearing some ridiculous thing and uh I said oh I make them and she said can you make me a couple and I said yeah of course I'll make you a couple and I you know made her a couple Mm -hmm. I went to some like local wherever we were Kentucky wherever we were that day 
and made her a bunch. And when I came back a couple of years later, I had gone into um, E! Entertainment started a network called the Style Network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And so I went in for a meeting to meet with them about being on air. And they said, oh, are you a stylist? And I said, yes, Kelly Osborne is my client. And I had no idea what a stylist was. I kid you not. you make it. Exactly. That's one of the best lessons out there. Absolutely. And I went on to be a, like the on-air host and stylist for like five years for the Style Network. I mean. And it all started because I was on tour and Kelly asked for these t-shirts and I was able to say she was a client. And it just, just took off. That's, that's great. Me. That's great. That sounds like my life. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, let's go back to you and like, how did the double, how did everything start? Well, um, back in, okay, let me think. So the first company I had was called Elena Labua and it was a clothing line. I was designing clothing. And this was East Coast or West Coast? This is out here in LA. Okay. Um, do you remember, I don't know how long you've been out here for, but like that shop called Diavolina? Yes, I do. So I, that was my good friend who owned that. Uh I was working with, she actually set me up with my husband, her, she, her and her boyfriend. She was dating the drummer of Queens of Stone Age. Yeah. He's best friends with my husband, Dave. And they were like, you know, trying to set us up. I didn't know that they were trying to set us up, but I was dating someone else. Anyway, long story short. Isn't that funny that they don't tell you that they're trying to set you up? But I know, yeah, you up? so the whole thing. So long story short, I would do what you were doing, making my own clothes, putting blah, blah, blah. She would have at the shop all these um, shoots for like Vogue and stuff. And I think Cameron Diaz was there once. And what are you wearing? Oh, my God. You know, so Evelyn, my friend, one of my best friends who owned the shop, she's like, I want to put an order in. So then I quit working there and I started my clothing line. And then we had, we were sold in 77 stores. Oh my gosh. It was great. We were in Japan, East Coast, West Coast, whatever. Um, and it was fun. Stressful. Man. How did you know how to handle, like, I, it's fun to say, hey, I'm doing this fun creative stuff. Sure. But then you actually have to, like, do wholesale and track orders and oh listen to God. customers. It's just like, complain. you know, it's like everything else. It's like what you did. You said yes. And then you figured out the rest after. Yes. And I feel like that's 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 the takeaway, you know, kind of just, I feel like a lot of people do. I call it the um, Ocean's Eleven because you ever hear about that, how they got um, a couple of our friends were in that realm and they told different actors that the people, the different people were committed, like, oh, George is committed. Brad, are you going to commit? Yeah, Brad's committed. This one. So I called the Ocean's Eleven effect. Just say yes. Just make it work. And Amazing. then you figure it out later. Yes. Um, so that's what we did. Um, I bought one of my friends in to partner with my girlfriend, Jana. And then we started getting showrooms, New York, LA, Texas. And next thing you know, we had this clothing line, but it was a lot. And then 9-11 had hit. Yes. Um, that was in 2000, 1999, 2001. 2001. Yeah, I met my husband in 2001. And then from 9-11 to I got married, I think in 2003. I never keep track. I'm the Same. worst. I'm just like, Same numbers thing. are not my gig. Same. Unless I'm negotiating. So <laughs> but anyway, um, so I think I got married in 2003. I had met my husband 2001. Um, a lot of the people were like, I can't, we can't pay you. Can we do, instead of paying, we need terms. We can't, can we do consignment? I'm like, oh, so, um, my husband had just gotten into, you know, after rehearsing forever, this big band that was supposed to do like great things. It was called Belt Revolver with Slash, 
Scott Weiland, um, Jeff McKagan, and Matt Sorum. And he's like, why are you still doing this clothing line? We're about to go on this big tour, come see the world in like from this view, which, you know, you never get that opportunity. So I was like, yeah, very few that people get to see yeah, it. And, and it's like, pretty incredible. To travel all over Europe. Yes. Sure. So I um, ended that career. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, let me see what's next. I just said, yes. How did you end that? Were you able to say to your partners, like, we're going to stop we now? Because of, exhaustion. Yeah. But the good <laughs> news is we didn't end up. It was a positive experience. The clothing industry is much harder than what people think because every time you make a chunk of money, you're like, you know, you got, back then it was more about seasonal. Yeah. So you're doing all the seasons and you're doing, you know, all the money's going back into every season and then, you know, showrooms paying a bunch of, it was just a lot. Now I feel like the fashion industry, a lot of brands are like focused more on item focus, whether mm-hmm. like you have like different people who do t-shirts really well and you know you can go to LNA for t-shirts or splendid you know like it's a little bit more those people either do like the great a great sweatpants you know mm. so I think feel like now they've worked it out where it's more cost effective back then it was you have to do all the seasons I think now too if I may like I think people are releasing the brick and mortar model as well yes. and just going to direct uh-huh. consumer online yeah, direct, yeah which is so much easier too yeah because there's no overhead. No overhead. It's less risk for the stores to take your line. So, you know, it was great. We had tons of press on different magazines and this and that. And it was fun. And that was the young, that was like, you know, phase 1A, Chris. <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> uh, we it. had fashion shows on rooftops. It was, it was like a whole learning thing. And yes. It was awesome. Then I went on the road. Um, the band actually did, you know, do something. And they released the first record. Went on the road and I had thought, oh, yeah, like back then I was still in party mode. I was young. Yes. 20, late 20s at yes. this point. And, um, you know, going on the band, going on the road with the guys from Guns N' Roses and Stone Temple Pilots. This is going to be a fun party. <laughs> Fast forward to everybody sober. <laughs> Except for Chris. I'm like, what do you want on your rider? Like all the wives were not. Yes. So we had some fun. But like, how long does that last? Like that novelty wore off really quick for me. Yes. I'm not just, you know, um, I just, it's not like I had kids to focus on. So I always like you need to be producing, creating, feeling that sense of accomplishment for myself, you know? And then I decided that I was going to be a photographer. Yeah. (laughs) So I was taking a bunch of photos as a band and, um, I realized that that was more of, I got some great photos. I got offered um, to do like a coffee table book and stuff like that. I never said, I never did it because I just, it was such, it was a hobby. It was something creative for me. Uh And I figured, I figured like if I wanted to do it, it'd always be there. You know, who knows? I have, I own. That's something that I think the world needs to see though. I need some of the photos. I'll show you when we're off. No one else can see it. I, that is an honor. (laughs) But, um, so yeah, so, you know, so that at least filled some time on the road for that year. Um, and then, um, having it, it's funny how like always one thing builds something else, right? Every, yes. every career you take all the lessons and you apply them to something else. So what I learned in that first career of owning, um, my clothing line 
is how important celebrities were yes. to for return of investment. And you know, I had dressed Madonna, Britney Spears, like back in the day, you know, and um, like Cameron Diaz, to name a few. They would wear my stuff, and I realized how important that was. And then I think on the road, I don't remember. Like there was a couple people that I would talk to backstage and people head of brands yes and they would start asking questions about part doing some deal with like about bomber like the bandmates and i realized i was like huh there's a there's a company to be made just by connecting you know for endorsement deals and and supporting brands and products and that's how i started double platinum amazing yeah and i had originally started double platinum with scott's wife scott wyland's wife or scott Mary Wyland. Yes. Um, I bought her in. I started it, then I bought her in after, um, and then she got busy with kids and life. Was she involved previously with some kind of like marketing mind? She's or... always. She was always She's a hustler. A hustler. She was a model. Yes. Back in the day, and she wanted something else to focus on. You know, I feel like a lot of women who have kids, when the kids get to go into school age, whether it's elementary, they start getting antsy. Yes. They're workers or want to want to be in a work field. Um, so that's it. So then we started that. If things didn't work out for one reason or another with um, her being able to have the time to work, I continued with the company. The company became – the guys won a few Grammys. Uh-huh. So then I connected with the Grammy Foundation. Amazing. And then I started doing, like, their – Question. Answers. Yes. So they win a few Grammys. Where in your mind or when did that moment come where you were like, I'm going to reach out to them and this is what I'm going to say? Like, I, do you remember that moment? I, you know what? For me, it's not as calculated. Uh-huh. It just, I can, it's like when I connect with people, it's just the same way you and I met. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> right. like I feel like I'm, I'm not really into signs, but when I'm tell people tell me Pisces are very intuitive. Are you a Pisces? I am a Pisces. No, Libra. And, um, you know, I kind of just go with my gut on yeah. people. Sometimes it gets You're me. You're the witch. Yes. Sometimes it gets me into trouble because sometimes my husband's like in a business deal or something. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that person. They're bullshitters. They're this, they're that. I'm like, I don't know. Be careful. I'm like, they're full of shit. And I kind of just go with my gut negatively or positively, which is not a, you know, when it comes to vibes of people. Anyway, so. Me and this woman, her name is Winnie Wynn. She still works at the foundation. Just bonded. I think it was backstage or uh, maybe at the Grammys um, when we were there. I, I don't know. But she was like, hey, wait, I don't know if this is – my timeline's all off. But remember when gifting lounges were big? Absolutely, because I was a stylist at the yes. time or a pretend stylist. <laughs> so so yeah. I kind of got roped into doing a green um, a house, a celebrity gifting house – with performances. Where was it? At Sundance. So it was called The Greenhouse. Was I at The Greenhouse? What year well, was Billy that? Billy Crudup, I think, performed. And um, that was a crazy story. So we had this big house. Yeah. And Max's area was, like, the sponsor of it. Yes. And had different rooms. It was really amazing. And Velt Revolver was going to do an acoustic set at night. So we would have performances at night. Yeah. Like, like a party house. Yeah. Because I was like, what's the sense of just doing it? I never liked that just keeping everything like static just side note i made out with matt sorum at sundance yes Yes, you did that is the best so i'm I'm curious if that was the year probably why would he be there anyways oh no i think he was with um the cult 
at the time. Oh, whatever. That's, That's awesome. It's a good story. <laughs> I can't wait to see what else comes out of your closet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so then I started getting into the gift lounge aspect. I didn't um, love that. It was more like endorsement deals, dealing with artists. Um, sh- I was booking shows. Like I booked, you know, I would take, I would book private and corporate gigs for bands from everybody to whoever. So it just kind of, you know, it was always an organic flow. This is maybe too private of a conversation okay. or a question, but so don't answer it if it's rude. Uh, what does a private gig price tag look like? Oh, oh no, that's you can ask because I don't even do it anymore. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> I'm so, so curious. I, I mean, for A-list bands, it's anywhere from uh, half a million yeah. to a million dollars. It's like a seven figure. Yes, ask. yes, and yeah. it's just like it's it's every band dream job like they yes. whenever they get private and corporate gigs it's it's an easy because you know they're getting taken care of yeah on out they're getting there's really not a, not much out of pocket cost for them and they're they already have their set it's either 45 minute set hour 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 and a half or even three songs well yes sometimes yes yes so back before 2008 because 2008 was when that recession hit that's when my career as a stylist or style correspondent sort of flatlined a little bit People were getting paid so much money. Those gifting suites were insane. And there was so much money so to be much money. spent and had on. Everybody was clamoring. Yeah. Was it? Chomping at the bit. Yeah. Something was that saying? Um, I always mess up every single sign. So but were yeah. you? <laughs> but, you know, it was fun. And then I kind of got, I get to a point where, you know, I'm, and I want to grow. I can't stay stagnant. Yeah. You know, I can't stay. I think that everybody feels that way. It's just pivoting with, with the curves that life throws you. Right? Yeah. When you were doing the, the party houses or the gifting suites, were you coming up with the creative of what that was? And could it just like, were you the line producer making sure you hired the right people to do that? You were just yes. doing everything. Yes, I was doing everything. Like, who were you at 12 years old? Ah, you had to do that. I was selling, you know who I was at 12 years old? I was taking a bag of Jolly Ranchers yes. and selling each one for a quarter. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. <laughs> My dad um, taught me, like, he was always a hustler. He came from, like, nothing, nothing to buying um, uh, an estate hotel in Montclair, New Jersey. From wow. Where I'm from. I don't, he hustled his way from like construction company that he owned to this hotel and a few years ago, God, it might be even five to 10 years ago now, he had sold it to Bobby Brown Cosmetics. Bobby Brown bought it. She changed it. The hotel? Yeah. The George. Wow. That was our family hotel. So, but like he was always hustling and he came from like poverty to that. And so I kind of just, he always had that mentality not taking no for answer. Yes. If you want to, if you believe in it yes. and you want to make, if you, if you believe in it, you can make anything work. You're just not talking to the fucking right people. Yes. You know what I mean? Like find your right person. That's so interesting. Is he from New Jersey? My dad? Yeah. Yes. So, and, and you're in hers. He was from. Okay. And well, I'm from Wayne and Montclair. Okay. And then your, his parents, were they Italian or were they? He never knew his father. Okay. Um, no, my father's German, Czechoslovakian. Ah. He doesn't really know the rest of his because he never knows. But he came from like seven, seven brothers and sisters. It crazy upbringing. My mother is full Italian from Lodi, New Jersey. Okay, mm-hmm. so my grandparents came from Italy and then were in Queens, New York. Okay, all that's where Dre's from. Queens. Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm from Queens, and like my grandfather was a construction worker. 
My other grandfather worked on the subway system with the MTA. My grandmother's worked in like Gimbals and Macy's. It's like candy girls. Um, One was a seamstress at one point, but always like hustling this, hustling this thing. And certainly in Queens, New York, like just taught the importance of a work ethic. Yes. So me too, I was hustling at 12 years old, like painting rocks and magnets and selling them door to door. Yeah. Um, and having my first job at 13 and then having two jobs at 17 and always being in that frame of mind of, I enjoyed working. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I was like, I want to try out to be a lifeguard. Yeah. You know, and my parents like, really? I mean, you know, my father had a, you know, supported a great life for us. So we didn't need to work, but I was definitely always more of a hustler yes. and wanting to have that. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have an older brother. And does he hustle? He's a hustler too, yes. Yeah. He's in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What is he doing? No what fucking, is he doing for himself? I have no fucking idea what he does. No, he, um, <laughs> um, it's called, um, oh God, he does risk management. He owns a company. Um, yeah. Hudson, Todd Hudson. I don't know. Risk management. I don't know. But, but he's, he's figured himself out. He's figured. He's like, own a bunch of medical clinics. He's, yeah, he's definitely an entrepreneur and a hustler too. So we definitely got that from the dad. I love from it. From the dad's side. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so double platinum, which, how did you come up with that name? I'm assuming just Oh, um, at the time the band was double platinum. Yeah. <laughs> and there was, and then um, there were two of us. It was um, Mary Wyland and I. So I was like, double platinum. And we just agreed. Or maybe, yes, I think I may have, might have named it before her. But anyway, I just was like, I don't know. Double platinum works. Cool. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of where. So basically, I moved into um, the endorsement stuff with with all that. And in the process, I was working with Grammy Foundation, but like other events. It was great because it's project-based, so you get to pick and choose what projects to take on. And I worked with an amazing um, foundation called Rhonda's Kiss. And that's a cancer foundation that I helped build their infrastructure too. They had some great events here. We had like Billy Idol. I booked Billy Idol for that. Amazing. I mean, it was just like my husband's side project band, the Hellcat Saints, performed. It was it was such a good show, and it was it's a great foundation too to support. Excellent. So, I'm a cancer good. survivor. You are. I am. What? I know. Of what type of breast cancer? cancer. Yes. How old were you? I was, I had my baby. I, I had two babies, one and three years old. My babies were young. I was 37 when I got diagnosed. And um, didn't run in my family. Mm-mm. Girls get checked because let me just tell you something. It's happening without, without any, any, you know, history now. It's crazy. And people are getting diagnosed younger and younger. So I'm so glad to see that you are strong oh, and sharing you. that information. Yes. And... Um, so my mother also was diagnosed with breast cancer at 37, having no family history. Um, when we think it's environmental from where we live, do you feel the same? Yes. I mean, that must be so scary though with a one in three year old. It was so scary. I was, I just had finished breastfeeding, um, my daughter and she was one, you know, she just, just was hitting that year mark. And I was like, there's something fucking wrong with me. And my, all my doctors told me I was crazy. And wait, 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 you're crazy. My OB, he was a horrible person. 
And he kept on telling me how nuts I was. Even my husband called me. He's like, there's something going on. No, no, no. He would not order me a mammogram. He said I was too young. Wow. Finally, and I'm going to tell you this because it's a crazy story. I woke up one morning and I, someone whispered in my ear, you have breast cancer. I woke up. I'm not a crier. Yes. Bawling. My husband said, what's wrong? I said, I have breast cancer. Yes. I know. I've never was more sure of anything in my entire life at then that moment. And I was like, you better give me, I called him. I demanded it. You better give me that script, blah, blah, blah. Mind if was, I did. And he, that guy, that OB called me and said, well, worst case scenario, you just, you just lose a breast. Don't oh. worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, wind up was, I lost more than that. I had to go through chemo, radiation, the whole thing. I, I chose a double mastectomy for myself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they'll just, I said, how would you feel? I was like, oh, so you're just going to lose one of your fucking balls, you fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. I can't believe. I'm knocking on wood. Knock on wood. Knock on yeah. wood. Um, wow. That's a really big yes. part of life that you were able mm-hmm. to win. Well, yeah, I win? feel like you have, I don't know if that's a term. Overcome? Everyone's like, oh, you're such a warrior and this and that. But like, what other fucking chance, what other options do you have, right? Yeah. I will say there was one time when I was going through chemo and the height of it. And I was like sick as a dog and. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids, I couldn't be there for them. But I just remember, like, crawling out of bed to go to, to try to get to the bathroom because I was going to be sick. Mm-hmm. And thinking, God, if I was elderly, I would never, mm-hmm. I don't think I would choose this. I would, you know, but having two young kids, you fight. You, everybody's a warrior. warrior. You know, you're not going to give up on them. And then what in that time did you, like, think about as far as what was in front of you? I didn't know anyone who had gone through cancer our age. For me, and, you know, I think we're kind of, I'm older than you, but um, at that time, going through cancer was an old person's thing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, I would go in the chemo room, I would see all old people in there mm-hmm. that looked, you know, great. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to just, is it going to is it gonna deplete everything? What kind of life, what kind of quality of life am I going to have after this? So... But I will say, I feel, I really do feel like that chemo killed all those cells and they grew back stronger. I've never felt stronger. And, and it's funny because I talked to a lot of people that are newly diagnosed now. They give my number out or friends always refer me to talk to them. And the one thing I do say is it was the scariest time of my life for sure, but the brightest time as well. Like I was so... I was so focused, connected to a higher power. My faith was the brightest it's ever been. Um, you know, you kind of just get rid of all the riffraff in your life and you're and you're really connected to what matters, you know? That's every minute so, counts. It's what I strive for every single day now. Yes, it's so beautiful. Do you feel like when you were going, well, we're still going through COVID, mm-hmm. but that you had that same connection to higher power to take your family through? Like, you, did you tap into that same strength or was it different because you were sort of facing more, ta- more of a mortality situation? You know what I can compare it to, which is interesting. When everybody was in the beginning stages of, of the pandemic and it was so... Going through, when you get diagnosed with with cancer, which was something that I thought, when you get diagnosed, your oncologist tells you, okay, 
here's the plan. This is what you need to do. X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And then this is your, you know, rate of these are your odds, blah, blah. Not so much. It's not, it's not like that. Um, the ambiguity and what we all had during the beginning of the pandemic that we didn't know what, you know, you could do this, but then that could, you know, wearing this or don't go here, maybe wipe down your things. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily help to wipe down your, you know, like, are we going to die? But, you know, all those questions and not knowing is exactly how you feel. Mm-hmm. But personally, mm-hmm. when you go through cancer, you're just like, am I going to die? What is it? You know, it, it's just, there's no answer. It's all, it's all convoluted. And you really don't know what the outcome is, you know? I mean, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I mean, what I was inc- going through, what I was going through cancer. Um, what an incredible... But no, I didn't... See, you know, obviously there's a different level of you know, going to chemo. Personally, I'm not taking that away from anybody. But that's obviously a whole different ballgame. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess because the people who have died from COVID, same thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's all a mind fuck, man. Yeah. And yes. trying to figure out your best options. Yes. And trying to stay as safe as possible. Um, and keep the people safe as possible around you, right? I just to support them. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I can't, I, I really, what strength you have as a person and what an unbelievable, just like spiritual and physical connection you needed to have to be able to go through that with a one and a three-year-old. That's wow. really insane. I mean, I talk about the positive now, but I'm also not <laughs> mentioning that I went to, um, when I got diagnosed, I went into a deep depression yeah. for, I mean... You know, maybe I wasn't because it didn't run in my family Mm -hmm. and it could have been food I was eating or environmentally. I was scared to put anything in my Mm -hmm. mouth at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was like not eating really. I was not, you know, it was, it was like a couple weeks before I was able to wrap my head around even what I was going through. And did you go, did you have a therapist at that time that helped you figure that stuff out or was that you on your own? Um, I think I started going to a therapist later on, um, because, you know, my oncologist forgot to tell me that you're on steroids and the steroids definitely depress you more. Yeah. And I was definitely, my husband is such a great guy and he's so patient, Mm. but I was definitely a little aggro towards him. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. So I think we to try to go through the cancer thing together and then we're going through therapy with him. And that helped, definitely. Because I had a therapist, um, her name, I'm going to plug her, Heidi Serban. She's amazing. And she would give, like, she would actually, like, give commentary instead of just, like. That's the best. I love it. I don't want a therapist. Tell me what, tell me something. Reflect back. That sucks. You're right. (laughs) It does suck. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You hear that, Dave? It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like that. I, you know, but um, so I went for like a small stint of time and it, it really helped. Good. Well, I mean, the fortitude. Yes. Yes. It's unbelievable. So what is the name of the organization again that you have? Rhonda's Kiss. Rhonda's yeah, Kiss. It's a great organization. Okay, it's great. run um, and it's a great organization. So we did a bunch of events. They're out of Cleveland, but we did a lot of events here in LA, in Cleveland. Um, yeah, so that was great. Oh, you wow. know, it was such, so that's why I had that connection. Anytime there's a, some some realm to get back, whether it's personally talking to someone going through it, mm. or that's you know in the beginning stage of going through it, or even you know having to go through it again. Ugh, mm. As much as I can do, I will because 
what else is life about? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Supporting people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Agreed. Yeah. I'm um, trying. It's beautiful. What an what an inspiration and what an aspiration for anyone striving to be able to give back in that way or be able to see that it's the human connection and how to give back and help that is the thing that makes the most sense in this world. I know, I know. Which is the nicest in this world and kindest yeah. and the most thoughtful. Um, so let's move a little bit down the road. Your, um, we could talk about your pod. I'd love to. Um, but also you have this wine brand now. So how do you know, it seems like it was, Dre and I always talk about this and we seem like it was a fluke, but it's funny because we had created, um, this other tequila based cocktail, her and I, and it was like a first market, um, concoction. And this is something that we were, um, we were building. Um, and her and I, I don't know, my husband was working with this company that was starting a new division, um, a big LA producer that was starting like a media division. And he was working, I guess somehow Dre and I were at the house. We were bantering back and forth about the, about the tequila this producer happened to be there or someone that worked for and someone that worked for him. And he was like, have you guys ever thought about like doing a podcast? Something like that. It kind of just fell on our laps and we're like, huh? No. And then we're like, huh, maybe great vehicle to market. We love bullshitting her and I are like two freaking yappers uh -huh. all day long. Uh -huh. um, we do have great, you know, banter and chemistry. So we're like, you know, maybe that's part of the end game to help with our um, booze brand. So they made us a deal that was a great deal and promised us um, some great things behind the magic curtain, you know, like different assets that they were putting together or had put together. So we signed with them and um, we did, we put out Made Women. Um, and tell me a little bit more about Made Women. What's what's the what's, what's the, the what's the one line? What's the so log line for the show? We were like um, our whole, which is similar to what you're what you're doing. Um, we are always we wanted to put out the show that her and I came up with after you know being like okay podcast called Busted and Readjusted. What busted you in life? How did you readjust? What how did you pivot? Everyone's got a story from disease to divorce, friend breakups, yes. anything could feel like it busts you. Yes. It doesn't matter. It's all relative to what how you feel, right? So that was our, it, we wanted to inspire people, to show people they weren't alone, um, and to, you know, just, just put that out there, whether it's her and I talking, having guests, whatever. So this company was just like, that's a great idea, but... Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, please. Okay. Swear I away. Swear now. fucking away. F-bombs. I've got a bad jersey mouth. So anyway, they're like, but can you please do a Sopranos rewatch first? Uh -huh. I'm like, hmm, does that make sense? I'm not on Sopranos. I'm right. not an actress. Um, and they convinced me that it would be great because of our banter. And Dre was like, okay. So they're like, we'll do it, start that. And yeah. then maybe we'll move to they that other gym. They're like, let's, let's grab all those Sopranos followers. And I was, and we're like, okay. Um, we did that with them made when we loved that podcast, but, um, unfortunately we realized we were the first podcast on the platform uh -huh. and everything that was promised behind that velvet curtain 
was not there to support us. So we were ended up doing a lot of the producing, a lot of the things that we weren't supposed to be having to do. We were promised to show up and, you know, host and, and deal with the content of the show. Right. Just be we, yourselves and yes, have that be the and show. And we would do that. You know, we would do the research for the show. We would, you know, and we would be responsible for that sector. But on the other end, um, the deal that we made wasn't really the deal that mm. we thought we mm. made. So when our contract was up, they wanted to renew. And we said, you know what? Bye. <laughs> uh-huh. See you later. So we left um, that company. And then we're like, you know what? Let's do it on our own. So that's how Gangster Goddess Broadcast was st- was started. Um, and then we were going to start with Gangster Goddess Broadcast Busted and Readjusted. Our first show was um, Michael Franchesi. I'm probably murdering his name, as I always do. And um, he's like a world-renowned speaker who used to be a mob captain wow. in New York City. Um, he went to jail for a number of years. He's, you know, rumored to kill people, which he doesn't admit. <laughs> but he turned his life around. Wow. Yeah, he lives out here in Newport Beach now. He's like a... Uh, you know, he's a man so he's of faith. busted and readjusted. He's the godfather. <laughs> and he has a book called The Godfather. Busted and readjusted. So that was our first show on Gangster Goddess Broadcast. And it was a great show. I mean, he's an amazing man. Um, talking about his days in crime. Talking about how he pivoted to this world and what how he did that. Um, but then, you know, a lot of the fans of the show wanted us. And we wanted to, too, to kind of get back into the Sopranos rewatch. So we were going to go back and forth, but we felt ourselves kind of locked into that Sopranos rewatch. Yeah. And let me tell you, that's not easy to to research those shows and go through those scenes because those Sopranos fans, yes, they you have to live up to certain <laughs> college courses on it. I would murder every Italian name. They were like, I'm murder this name. I'm like, listen, I'm never going to get these fucking names right. So just do their criticisms and we're going to deal with that. And so, um, but it just became a lot of time to, um, uh, to produce these shows and, and, um, wind up was we were you know it was a full this is two full-time jobs yeah so it was taking away from family that was when the the, this is going through covid uh, Uh pandemic yes i feel like i didn't see my kids for the first half wow because yeah we were doing this all ourselves that's why it was a lot and the, the research on top of it just for one show we'd research for like three days straight right because with david chase there's always some symbolism yes. overarching themes all the stuff that you really felt and Dre and I were like perfectionists trying to be in that area to, to give, you know, some adequate insight. Um, so it just became a lot. What happened was this company, this great company called Knocking Point Winery. I have, I know Knocking Point. Yes. I've worked with them on a few events. God, why do our worlds are like this symbiotic? So crazy. I know. How many from Matt Sorum to Knocking Point? Uh, there's ah. even more, which I will not mention here, but yeah. Oh my God. Oh, we, oh I can't wait to get into that. So we had Knocking Point knocked on our door and they do um, celebrity brand collaborations. They did one with like Ashton Kutcher and a bunch of really great people. And they said, we love your, your brand. Um, do you want to do a wine? And we said, that would be great. It makes sense. Thanks cool. to Goddess Wine. So we did the Pinot Noir. It got rated like some crazy rating. And, you know, they're out of Walla Walla. And, um, the wine was great. Uh, we had a great time like marketing and promoting it. 
and um, we got written up in like Wine Spectator. So you know, we're building on that right now. And we're like, God, we need to really focus yes. right now back on the. So back to square one with yeah. tequila and wine. Great. So yeah, you so will... we're really focused on that now. We put the podcast. A lot of people have been asking, where the hell are you guys? It's on a hiatus. We, you know, who knows what the future holds with that. Yeah. And honestly, what's fun is like, let's say us being the marketing gals or the masterminds on yeah. like a yeah. party. Um, you could potentially have like wine when you're introducing a new wine or selling a new wine, you could go to events and almost do like a live made women, like not where you would essentially make it a, a weekly podcast, but maybe there's like a live conversation that you have at an event that is also selling your wine. I mean, that's a great idea. So what we would do is we would, with the wine, we would have um, Instagram lives, uh-huh. happy hours uh-huh. Uh-huh. on Friday nights. I think we did a few of them. Got a little dicey at times. <laughs> I love that. First of all, we would do this thing where we blindly accept people onto the thing. And let me tell you something. You can't get them off. So like, can you disconnect, please? Can you disconnect? And they're like, and they're like, you know, not disconnecting. So that was a whole thing. So we didn't really think that out, but it was fun. There, there really might be some opportunity, though, to do, like, a gangster goddess Pinot Noir slash tequila, like, live tastings around the country. I mean, I love that. I love that. That's a great idea. We'll talk. We'll definitely <laughs> talk. I think um, Yeah, I mean, our events have. They're going to start happening now. They yeah. are starting to happen. Yes. They're starting to trickle in, so that's great. What's happening with the tequila brand? Do we have it yet, or...? We have it. We have We're working it on yet. it. It's um, not been distributed yet. Or what's no, the status, yet, please? Because I love me some tequila. I know the tequila is great, and it's like a it's a better for you cocktail. It's what does that mean? Way. Um, it's infused with different vitamins and things, Ooh. and a secret ingredient that I can't oh. really talk about until it's distributed. Oh, I yes. love it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I really enjoy chatting with you Um, and hearing all about you, especially what you've been able to overcome in your life and just have become in your life and what you've made yourself out to be, no pun intended. Um, I, I feel like the takeaway, you've said it a couple of times and I want to bring it up again, is just like saying yes. Saying yes. Even if you think you can't say yes, you will figure it out and you will learn so much. And I love the fake it till you make it always. Fake it till you make it. Ocean's Eleven, it. Yeah, I always say. I'm like, I'm like, we're in Ocean's Eleven. This one, yeah. Everybody's in, yeah. It's like you know, it's like I'm. Um, everybody's in. Everybody, are you in? in? Because everybody's in. I just watched this documentary. It's called Heal. Have okay, you seen it? no, but I'll watch it. H e a l. I think it's on Netflix. It's the power of of the mind. Yes, it's really you know law of attraction. We've all heard about that, but this shows like great examples of people that healed themselves through it. Just you know, what we can create and what we can do with our minds. So, I mean, I'm always striving to think more positively. I mean, I think that's uh, always a work in progress. But yeah, yeah, but you're working on it. You're aware of it. And you have a spectacular family and a spectacular yeah. creative mind. And just your spirit is so lovely. Oh, so I would, I, I want to thank you. You, uh, this badass guest of mine, Chris Kushner, for joining us this week. Be sure to like, subscribe, and if this show resonates with you, leave your rebel stories of reinvention on our show page. I know I would love to read them, and I'm sure you'll connect with other women who absolutely will too. So I'm Jess Zeno, and this is the Mothers of Reinvention. Bye. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it.